Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys? Awesome. It's good to see you. Um, everybody enjoy the snow day last week? Did you have fun in it? <laughs> I swear, I think it starts to snow in South Carolina and everybody turns 12. We're all like giddy about it. You know, it doesn't matter how old you are. You're just like, whoa, snow, let's go play, you know. Um, and if you don't, we'll pray for you after. That's the great thing about the South, right? By the time we're sick of the snow, it's gone. It's warm. It's going to be 70 degrees today. Yeah, the sun's shining. We don't have to work in it and sludge through it for, the, for another few months. So it's exciting. Um, welcome to Outreach Church. My name is Roy. I'm the pastor here. And we really are thankful. Is there anyone here who's this your very first time coming and worshiping with us here at Outreach? Anybody? Yeah? Don't worry, we're not going to make you do anything silly this week, right? That's if you come back. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But no, really, and I say this, this is, listen, this is not just part of the welcome. We really are thankful that you're here. We really are. Because we feel like everybody that comes here adds who they are to what God's doing and to to, when you open your mouth and you worship, it, it, it adds to the sound that, that we're putting out towards heaven that, that echoes forever. Sound waves just continue to travel. And so we really are thankful that you're here. We appreciate you coming, and, um, and we, we value you. So uh, I actually have two, two things that I really want to share this morning. The first is, were you here a couple weeks ago when I, I was talking about spending time with the Father, and I was talking about just making an appointment to meet with him and, and get alone with him and, and come expecting and all those things. If you didn't hear that message, I think you really should listen to it. It's on the podcast. It had a lot of just really practical things about what does it look like to actually spend time with him? How do I enter into his presence and stuff like that? And, um, but I, I talked about how during that time when I was preparing for that message, um, he said, I don't just want you to, I felt like the Lord said, I don't want you to just preach about things that are that are talking about experience of the past, I want to give you a fresh one right now, um, just as an example of, of what happens when you meet with me. And um, so there's a question I've been asking him for four years, and I promise you some of you are about to be so disappointed, because people were asking me during the week, like, what is it, is it we have a new building? <laughs> you know, and people were like, or, or I can't be there next week, and you said it was like a really important message. I actually didn't say that, I just said there was a question I've been asking for four years that he gave me the answer to. Um, but, but so here's what it is. Every time I've read the story, um, in the, in John chapter 21, verse seven, it says, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. And I read that. And every time I read that, it just bugged me. Why would you put your coat on that you'd already taken off to jump into the ocean they're about 300 feet from shore, 100, uh, um, uh, 100, um, sorry, 200 cubits from shore, so they're about 300 feet from shore. And why would you take your jacket that you had already taken off and put it on to jump into the water and swim to shore? I mean, it just didn't make any sense to me. It's like, if I'm going to swim, the first thing I do is start taking off anything I don't have to have on. Because I don't want to be weighted down with anything, especially not a heavy coat, and then jump into the water and it gets even heavier. And, and it was already off. It's not like he said, it's the Lord. And Simon Peter went, whoa, and just jumped in with his coat. I could understand that. That would make sense. He got caught up in the emotion of the moment. He saw it was the Lord and he just jumped in and went for it. That would make sense. It says, but 
So he put on his outer garment, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water to go to the Lord. And for, for probably four years, every time I've read that, I thought, why did he put his coat on? And I started thinking. So I just started pondering that, that, that question over the years. And, and, uh, and, I, and in that moment, I feel like I heard God give me the answer. And, and so I'll give it to you, but first I'll tell you why I believe that. So Simon Peter was the disciple that, Jesus, that was fishing and Jesus came to speak to the crowds and he got into Simon Peter's boat because the crowd was pushing in and he preached. And Peter had been cleaning his nets all night and uh, all, all day because they had been fishing all night, hadn't caught anything. And Jesus says, um, you know, put out into deeper water and throw your nets over the side of the boat. And, um, and Peter says, I'll do it because you said so, but you know, we fished all night. You know, you guys know the story. It doesn't make sense during the day to go fish when you haven't caught anything at night. You know, it's least likely to catch things. And he says, but, but since you said that, I'll do it. They put their boat out into the deeper water. They throw their net over the side. And they bring in such a haul of fish that they have to have other boats come and help them. So Peter then abandons and leaves everything behind and follows Jesus. He leaves his boat. He leaves his fishing gear. He leaves everything. Jesus says, follow me. And he says, I'll follow you. So he follows Jesus for three years. Jesus comes towards the end of his life. He's telling them, I have to go. They're going to kill me. Simon Peter instantly speaks, I'll never let that happen. I'll never let them kill you. And Jesus says, Peter, you're, he rebukes him and says, Peter, you're thinking for yourself. In other words, you're saying that because you selfishly want me to stay here. You don't even understand what you're saying. You don't understand that if I stay here, I can't do the thing I was brought to earth to do. So Peter says, it will never be. And says, you know, not only, will, not only will you let them take me, Peter, but before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Peter, I'll never do that. They seize Jesus. You know, he cuts the ear off of Malchus's servant. Jesus heals Malchus, shows Peter, you don't understand what you're doing again. Leaves. Peter follows him. And three times he says, I never even knew him. Not only to let him take them, but, but he's afraid to go with him. And then when someone comes to him and says, hey, wait, you're, you're one of his men. You, you were with him. I never knew the man. A little girl at a campfire says, hey, you're one of his men. You were with this Jesus. He shouts at her. I never knew him. Won't even admit to a little girl that he knew who Jesus was. And after the third time, he hears the rooster crow and he realizes, I did exactly what he said I would do. And he feels like he has completely failed. Anybody ever been there where you just, you just think, oh, nobody has screwed it up worse than me? Maybe Adam and Eve. <laughs> right? We always give ourselves that grace. Like, they really screwed it up, but I'm right below them without realizing that each of us has been Adam or Eve. And so, Peter goes, does the thing that he knew how to do. He goes back to fishing. And then Jesus appears at the tomb and He says to Mary, He says, go tell my brothers and Peter that I'm coming for them. 
He makes a point of saying Peter's name because he understood if I just say my brothers, Peter won't come because Peter will think that I don't consider him a brother because of the way he's treated me. So he knows Peter feels like he's failed, he's screwed up so badly, he's opened his mouth and said something and then not delivered on what he said. He feels like a failure, he's denied me three times, not just once, not twice, but three times he's denied me. He's denied that he even knows me. Never mind that he has close relationship and promised to give his life for me. And if I just say, tell my brothers I'm coming, Peter will disclude himself from that group and he won't think that I want him. But I want Peter to know that I haven't given up on him and that what he's done hasn't changed my mind in the least and I want relationship with him still. So tell my brothers and Peter. And so they hear the Word and they go to meet him and, and uh, he comes. He said, I'm going to meet them in Galilee. I'm going to meet them by the ocean. And yet the first place he appears to them is not there. They're huddled in a home in fear. Not where he said that he was going to meet them. And Jesus doesn't stay there. He appears to them, and then he disappears. And now they're where he said he would meet them. And he comes and he begins to cook for them. And he sees them out in the water and he says, guys, have you caught anything? No. Put your net on the other side. You know, it's the first time he told them what to do. They had to go from where they were to some other place and then put their net into the water. This time, they were right where they needed to be. They just needed to tweak it just a little bit. And I felt like when I read the two stories, because they're so paralleled, God was showing me that the longer we follow Jesus, even when we're off, it's just by a little bit. It's just minor corrections. It's no longer you have to go from where you are to another place to catch fish. You're right where you need to be. You just had to take your net from one side to the other. I know. I love when He shows me stuff like that because there's all these parallels in the Bible and when you start to dig into them, you see this stuff. And so... He says, throw your net over, and they throw their nets over, and of course they catch so much fish that it's going to sink the boat, so their boats have to come and help them. And John looks at Peter and says, it's the Lord. And Peter goes, why did he put his coat on? I think the reason he put his coat on was because in that moment, he realized he still treats me the same as he treated me before I denied him. He still wants to bless me the way he blessed me before I denied him. He still calls me his child. He's here for me. And this time, I'm following him and I'm never going back to that boat, even if it's just to get my coat. I'm going to go towards Him and I'm never turning back and I'm going to follow Him for the rest of my life. I'm not even going to go back and set foot on that boat just to simply get my coat. I'm all His. He's all mine. I'm going towards Him and there's no turning back. To the point that historians say they crucified Peter when they crucified Him. You guys know the story. He said, if you're going to hang me the way you hung my Lord, then hang me upside down because I'm not worthy to be hung in the same manner as He. And he died laughing and rejoicing as they hung him. Because all he could see, I'm still going towards him. That was the answer he gave me. Yeah. 
I was talking to a friend of mine, just kind of running it by him. I like to run things by people. He said, I've never even asked that question. That's how my mind works, though. I see these things and I can't be okay with it. Because he didn't just put that in the Bible and let you know that he put on his coat that he had taken off for no reason. It's in there for a reason. Not just because he wanted the Bible to be seven words longer. I think that for every one of us, there comes that moment where we see him for who he is. We really see him. Not this story that we were told, you know, that someone tells us about what Jesus did for them, and not this, you know, Bible story that we grew up knowing as a kid that we know is true, kind of, because our parents say, but when we see him for ourselves and we understand, even after everything I've done, this is still his words to me. I love you. I gave my life for you. Come and follow me, and I'll do, I'll take, I will give you the life that I lived. So you can die to the life that you were never supposed to live. Like all these things can be mine even after everything I've done. And I think for every one of us, there comes this moment where it's like, you know what? From this day forward, I'm never going back. Not even for trivial things. I'm all for Him. I'm jumping in the water and I'm heading towards Him and I'm never going in a different direction. Yeah? So that was that's that there. Big secret. Jeff was going to the Clemson. There's a lot of more. There's more orange in here this morning than there is normally. I should have wore green so that we could have had the UM colors going on and everybody would have known what it was for. People are probably confused and wondering why everyone's wearing orange and no one's wearing green. Clemson won. Congratulations. <laughs> Jeff's been waiting for that. Uh, all right. So. But here's what I really here's the message I have for today. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up um, to John, or I'm sorry, to Luke chapter 13. Um, we'll get there in a minute. But I was I was I, I I was praying and just asking God. You know, it's the beginning of a year. God, what what are you? What do you? What is on your heart for this year for us? And and uh, and I felt you know the spirit of God starting to to move me towards the idea of sowing and 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 reaping. And and I and I felt like. God was saying to me that this is the year of first fruits. And so I thought, tithing? You know, like, that was immediately what popped into my head. Like, are we supposed to teach on tithing? And, and then I felt like he said, no, listen, this is, this is what I want you to talk about. And so here's what it is. You know, sowing and reaping, there's yearly cycles to that in some cases, right? Like, you plant corn in the spring, you harvest corn in the fall, and then you eat the corn that you've harvested until the next harvest. And in the spring, you plant again, and in the fall. And so there's these yearly cycles, there's these short cycles. You put carrot seeds in the ground, carrots come up, you pull carrots from the ground, and you eat them, and it all happens within a single season, and every single season, it repeats itself over and over again. But, but then there's also the idea that sometimes I plant something in the ground that I don't need the fruit of for years to come. Like an apple tree. If I plant an apple tree in the ground, sometimes it's seven years before an apple tree produces its first fruit. And so you put that seed into the ground and a little shoot comes up and you've got a baby apple tree. And within that tree is the ability to produce everything that an apple tree could produce. But it needs, it needs sun, it needs water, it needs nutrition. More than anything though, it needs time. And so you can plant that tree in the ground and you can protect it you can build a little fence around it, you know, or you can put a stake next to it for it to lean on for support. And you can make sure that it's getting all the sun that it needs, all the water that it needs. You can fertilize it. But there's only so much you can do with that tree 
to help it grow. In fact, you can sometimes if you're not patient and you try to make it grow too fast, you can actually kill the tree because you're trying to force it to be something that it doesn't have the time to be yet. It's not time for it to produce fruit and you want it to produce fruit so badly that you overfeed it, you overwater it, you overfertilize it, and you end up harming the tree. Because what the tree needs more than anything is it just needs you to be patient with it and allow it time to become what it's supposed to become. And so for, for years, literally years, you watch this thing grow and you, and you wait and then all of a sudden about seven years in usually for an apple tree, you see that first little blossom in the spring. And you realize that this is the year of the first fruit. And that blossom turns into a fruit. And the fruit is tiny and it's bitter. And at that point, if you were to pick it, it would be good for nothing. It'd make your tongue really dry because all it has really is the protective skin and the tannins. The things that, the, the sweetness of it and the flesh of it and what's good for eating and also the, the seeds that are good for reproducing are yet to be matured inside that fruit. So it's small and it's maturing and it's growing and it's not time for it to be picked yet, but one day it will be. And so you watch that fruit and you, you eye every squirrel that comes near the tree. You know, birds and everything else. Because listen, there's things coming for the fruit and they don't care what time it is. They, they don't have the same interest in that fruit that you do. They haven't put the time and the, and, the, and the effort and they haven't patiently waited. They're just coming along and seeing, oh, fruit! You know, and all of a sudden, just like that, years of waiting is destroyed in that one moment because something that didn't value the process saw the fruit and thought the fruit would be good for it to eat. When we value the process, we understand that we don't want to take anything or do anything before it's time. Why? Because we understand it took so long to get here. What's a little bit longer? Understanding and valuing the process in our own lives will help us to understand, listen, I I don't have to panic and try to the second I see fruit start eating of it and enjoying it. I value this process and I've waited seven years. What's another seven weeks? To have it be full and to have the goodness. And so then that, that fruit starts to mature. It starts to ripen and now it grows. And, and we can see it changing on the outside, but what's really changing more than anything because the, the peel, besides the color, is pretty much the same from the time it appears to the time that it's ripe. The majority of the change is happening on the inside. It's becoming sweet. It's also developing within it the seeds of the next crop. There's another tree inside of that apple. In fact, there's a bunch of trees inside of that apple. Inside of one apple, there's, a, there's an orchard. And so then the fruit is ripe, and the time comes, and we pick the fruit. And that's an exciting time because we, now we start to enjoy what we've waited and labored and worked and dedicated and given ourselves to for so long. And I felt like God was saying that this year is the year of first fruit for so many people in this church. That it's going to be the year that we see and we're actually able to eat and enjoy of the fruit of things that we've poured and sowed into for so many years. For so long, you've waited and you've been patient and you've poured into it and you've wondered every year if this is the year. For, I'm, I'm, listen, for a lot of us in this church and for His Bride Universal, but I can speak specifically to the people in our church, that for years you wondered if it was even worth it. Right? Like you wonder, was it worth it? Because there was no tangible evidence besides there was a promise 
that, that every fruit, every seed will reproduce after its own kind. So you have that promise of God to hold on to, but every year you wonder, is this going to be the year? And then every year you're disappointed because there's no blossom. There's no fruit. But if we understand the promise of God, that disappointment is quickly overshadowed by, well, then there's a day coming. I just have to be a little more patient. And man, is that fruit going to taste good when I finally get it? Because the process is what makes the fruit valuable. Things that come cheap are never, ever, ever as good as those things that we have to wait for. So, for a lot of us, I feel like this is a year of enjoying and eating the first fruit. But also within that, there has to be this understanding that the work is not done. That just because you've picked a fruit and just because the tree is now starting to bloom and maybe there's five, maybe there's ten apples on that tree, that really the work now has really begun because now there's actually something that you can do to help this tree become more fruitful. See, a fruit tree in its natural cycle, when it's left alone, on its own, and not tended to at all, has a cycle that looks like this. It goes from a sapling to a young tree to a mature tree. It starts to produce fruit, and it produces more and more fruit until it gets to a place of being the peak of fruitfulness for that tree on its own. But what happens is at that peak, it uh, suddenly starts to decline after that because what happens is the tree becomes so overgrown on the outside that no light is reaching into the inside and it starts to die from the inside out. The branches on the inside, the leaves on the inside are no longer getting light to them like they were. It was natural when the thing was so sparse, light hit everywhere. When it was young, when there, when there was very little leaves on the tree, there was very little branches, it was this twiggy little thing, the sun got everywhere. Light reached every part of the tree. But as the tree begins to grow, the fruit and the branches suddenly begin to block out the inside of the tree. And the tree actually starts to decline. And the crazy thing about it is, you have no idea if the tree is declining simply by looking at the fruit on the tree. Because for years after the tree started to decline, it will still produce just as much fruit. And then all of a sudden, one year, branches begin to die. And the crop starts to dry up. And this happens in people's lives. When you're young in the Lord and you're growing in the Lord and everything's new, it's like, man, God, You have all of me. The light of the Gospel touches every part of my life. Why? Because there's so much darkness that all I want to do is let the light come in and, and, and fix and, and, and repair and make new and restore and all those things. And it's this exciting time of growth and you're, there's fruit on the tree. But if we're not careful, we'll start to look at the fruit and say, well, then I've arrived because now that I'm producing fruit, now I'm a mature Christian. And we'll start to rest on our laurels. And the minute that we start doing that, the decline starts, even if it isn't evident in our lives right away. Think about your Christmas tree. It died the day that they cut it free from its roots. But it was sustained by, one, by two things. Stored energy, meaning the sap flow and the life flow that was in the tree the minute it was cut free from the roots. And it gleaned from what people gave it. But when people stopped giving it, it died like that. If we're not careful, and we don't understand the process, sometimes we start to decline because we're actually not 
taking care of the roots of our lives. And we're gleaning from people around us and it's keeping us alive. Listen, our, our Christmas tree smelled amazing. We had a real tree. All you fake tree people, do you need prayer? There's nothing like a real tree. And it smelled just awesome when you walked into our house. Well, we burned Yankee pine candles too to help it out. But, but the tree was awesome too. You know, we'd be sitting on the couch and it, it would, those little blooms would open and all of a sudden you'd catch this whiff of fresh pine and Patty would be like, oh, our tree smells so good, doesn't it? And looking at it from the outside, if you didn't look down below the tree skirt and see that it actually was sitting in a little dish and the only reason it was alive is because we were keeping it alive because it was drawing off what we were giving it, you would look at it and it would look like a healthy pine tree. But the minute it stopped receiving from outside and the minute what it had stored inside of it when it was on its own roots happens, suddenly the decline happens like that. And people would say, wow, that tree died fast. No, it died slow because it had been dead for a long time. You just didn't see it because it wasn't evident on the outside because what was happening was it was dying from the inside out. And we see that with people sometimes, right? Like we see, like I, 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 this isn't pointing any fingers, but you see pastors sometimes that just all of a sudden one day say, I'm done been pastoring for however many years, and all of a sudden, in one day, they say, I'm done. And people go, holy smokes, that happened so fast. Like, just three months ago, everything was okay, and now all of a sudden, you're just done? No, you don't understand. Three months ago, it wasn't okay, but three months ago, they were still riding the momentum of a time when it was okay. The prodigal son left his father's house. Listen to me. Be really careful. Listen to me. The prodigal son left his father's house. He took what the father gave him and he went away to a far land. He did not look like he was cut off from the source and he did not look like he was dying and he did not look like he was in poverty, but he started to decline the second he left the father's house because there was no replenishing and the source was cut off from him. It just took a long time for him to actually spend what he left the father's house with. And then all of a sudden, one day, he's in with the pigs. And you can hear the people that would see him. Wow, he fell quick. A month ago, we were at a party and he was buying stuff for everybody. All of a sudden now, a few weeks later, he's wishing he could eat the pig food? How did that happen so fast? It didn't happen fast. It just manifested quickly. Because what had been going on for a long time suddenly became apparent on the outside. In your Bibles, there's a story in Luke chapter 13, verse 6. Here's what I want to say. Listen. But if that fruit tree, when it gets to the peak of its fruitfulness, has someone that's taking care of it that begins to prune the tree and say, I'm going to remove this branch and that branch and that branch and that will let light into the canopy. It will allow a fresh new burst of buds to break forth. It'll cause new branching to break forth. And on those branches where there was one branch that was loaded with fruit, there will be seven branches because each time I prune it back, it's going to split into two and then two and then two and then two. And pretty soon where there was one branch that was bearing a lot of fruit, there's going to be seven branches and each of those seven branches will be bearing fruit. And if somebody comes along that knows what they're doing, has an eye for it, they can prune that tree and the tree doesn't have to start that downward cycle. The tree can actually produce and bear more fruit. 
And every year it can be pruned back. And every year it can be fertilized. And every year, but, but, if no, but, if, but, if, but if no care is taken to that, if we don't actually allow and submit our lives to the pruning process of the Lord, and we judge our lives only by fruit. Now Jesus did say, you'll know my disciples by their fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit. A bad tree can't bear good fruit. He wasn't saying the amount of fruit on the tree is how you'll know if they're my disciples. He was saying if there's good things in their lives, they're following me. If there's not good things in their lives, they're not following me because one can't do the other for a sustained period of time. But, but, but listen, that's not the only way that we can judge. We're not talking about people who aren't born again that haven't given their lives to Jesus. I'm talking, these are people who know Him and love Him and, and, and have given Him their lives. They're going to heaven. They're not people who have denied that Jesus is Lord. I'm talking about people who were healthy Christians who genuinely have a love and an understanding for Him. And suddenly, because there's fruit in their lives, they begin to coast and think, well, if, it's, if my life is fruitful, then I must be doing everything right. And you can coast on that for a while, but there will come a time where if you're not allowing the pruning process and what God wants to do in your life to take place, suddenly the fruit will start to decline and what has been going on underground will start to be made manifest above ground. Suddenly when the tree gets taken out of the dish of water, everybody sees what has been true all along. It's dead. It only looked alive because it was going on momentum, stored energy, and being propped up by what it was gleaning from people around it. But on its own, it couldn't stand. It had no roots. I just I don't want to see that happen to me. I don't want to see that happen to anybody that I know. And I certainly don't want to see that happen to anybody who's submitted themselves to me as their pastor because it says that we watch over you as those who will give account for your souls. Now, just because it says that I'm accountable doesn't mean that I'm responsible for the decisions you make. It means that I'm responsible for speaking to you what the Lord has told me to speak to you and making sure that if you make the wrong decision, it's not because I didn't give you the information to make the right one. God wasn't responsible for the Israelites not choosing Him when He said, I put before you this day a choice, life and death. Choose life that I might bless you. He says, look, here's a choice. And, and, and it's, it, it, here's a pop quiz. And I'm going to give you the answers. And I'm going to tell you which answer to pick. And sometimes people still chose the wrong one. The majority of them chose the wrong one. God's not accountable for that choice. I'll be accountable to those who watch over your soul in this way. It's my, my responsibility to tell you what the Word of God says and what God is telling me to speak. It's your responsibility to take that and apply it to your life. Okay? So, so in, in Luke chapter 13, verse 6, Jesus is talking to His disciples and He says, a man had a fig tree which had been planted in the vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. He said to the vineyard keeper, behold, for three years... I have come looking for fruit on this tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered him and said, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilize. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. God, I, I just thank You for Your Word today. I thank You that it's alive, God. That, that the fire of the Gospel burns in our lives, God. And I thank You for that. I thank You that Holy Spirit, You're speaking today. I pray that our ears would be open to hear. That, that we have the mind of Christ. That we would be able to understand these things that You've, that you've spoken to us in Your Word. And that our hearts would be good soil, God. That the, that the seed of Your Word would go down into the soil of our hearts and that it would produce fruit. That a world that does not know You, Father, would taste the fruit of our lives because of Your Spirit in us and know that You're good. And I thank You for that, God. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. So he, he's telling this parable. Notice what the vineyard keeper says. He says to the guy that owns the vineyard, he says, listen, you're judging the outside. And you're looking at this tree and you're seeing that it doesn't have any fruit. And so you think that the problem is what you can see. But I'm telling you that maybe the problem is the things that you can't see. Let me dig down into the roots and give it fertilizer. And then let's see if maybe next year. In other words, give it some time. Don't just judge something because there's no fruit on it. Listen, you can look at the things in your life and there's some things in your life that aren't bearing any fruit and you may be tempted to cut them off and some things maybe need to get cut off, right? We'll talk about that in a little bit. But there's some things in your life that just because they're not bearing fruit this instant doesn't mean it's time to cut it down and be done with it. It might mean that it's time to actually invest more into it and make sure that everything that it needs that it's getting so that it can actually produce the fruit that you're looking for. The vineyard keeper says, look, the problem's not above ground. You don't need to chop this thing down. Let me take care of what you can't see, and then maybe it will produce fruit that you can see. And so, um, all right, turn, turn to uh, John chapter 15. So I want to tie these together, and if I get ahead of myself, then it'll be. John chapter 15. Everybody knows this verse, right? I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it might bear more fruit. It says branches that don't bear fruit are taken away, and, and sometimes that's a scary verse, right? We, we think like, oh man, if, if I'm not bearing fruit, like right this second, if there's not tons of fruit in my life, is He going to remove me from the, from the vine? And that's not what He's talking about because you're in Him. So He's not going to remove you because He said that those who the Father's given to me, I hold in my hand and no one can snatch them from me for the Father's actually holding on to you. So if you're in Christ, the Father's holding on to you. He's not with one hand going to hold on to you with the other hand remove you from the tree. What this is speaking to for believers, for people who are born again, is that there's things in our lives sometimes that aren't bearing any fruit. And the Father is so interested in us bearing fruit that He will actually cut and remove the things from our lives, the branches from our lives that aren't producing fruit. You know the truth of the matter is? A branch that doesn't produce fruit and a branch that does produce fruit require the same amount of energy from the tree almost all of the year round. Because while a branch that doesn't produce fruit isn't having the energy to produce fruit put into it, a lot of times it's growing faster than the rest of them and it's putting out more leaves and it's growing. I know a lot about this because I grow bonsai trees. Okay? But, but, but trust me, it takes energy from the tree. And there's things in our lives, sometimes it would be good for us to ask God to get before Him and just say, God, are there any branches on my tree that aren't producing fruit that you know are never going to produce fruit? If that's the case, Lord, remove them from me. I don't want to spend the rest of my life trying to make a branch that's never going to produce fruit, produce fruit. God, what is it that I'm giving my energy to and my time to that I shouldn't be because it's never going to bear fruit because those are the things I want you to remove from my life. And you know what? It may cost you things that you like. And a lot of times, it's not like sin that we're talking about. If we're talking about people who are going after the Lord, people with a heart for Him. Listen, if there's sin in your life, there's no question He wants to cut that out. Okay, That's not like, God, do you want to remove this sin? Because if you do, I'm all you. go ahead, you can cut it out of me. Listen to me, that's never a question. He's not going, I don't know, maybe that will produce fruit one day. No, it will produce bad fruit. He wants to remove it. Trust me. 
That's not the question. It's not like, well, God, I know you said in your word, but I kind of like it. Could I keep it around for a while? No. He has no interest in that. But there will be things in your life that maybe aren't bad things. They might even be kind of good things. But they're taking your time and your energy and they're producing no fruit. And at some point, it might be relationships. It might be hobbies. It might be technology. It might be any number of things. And, it, and, and, and I'm not saying that those things are always inherently bad, but I am saying that if they're taking a lot of my time, yet they're producing no fruit, there may be a chance that God wants to remove that from my life to make room for something that will bear fruit. And if our goal really is nothing, if our goal is to say a prayer and then go back to life the way that it was and know that one day when I die, I'm going to go to heaven because I asked Him to be my Savior, if that's the goal of our life, then this is probably not really that important to us. But if the goal of our lives is to really make the biggest impact on this earth that we can while we're alive for the kingdom of God, and if we want to bring the Father great pleasure, which it says that it's His great pleasure when we bear much fruit, and if we really want to spend and live our lives for Him to see the kingdom of God grow and to see the influence that He's given us grow and to see the most fruit so that when we get to heaven, we can stand before Him and we can say like Paul, I've run my race, I've been poured out like a drink offering, my life has been laid down for others and I'm ready to come home. And He looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest which I prepared. If that's the goal of our lives, then it's probably time for some of us to get before Him and say, God, what are the branches on my tree that are taking energy, that are, that are shading out other things that could be bearing fruit that you want to remove from my life, God, because I don't want anything in my life that's never going to bear fruit. And it, look, it, it's, it's painful sometimes. There's been times where God's cut relationships out of my life that I actually really enjoyed. No, no, listen, don't go legalistic with this. Don't go home and make a list and start writing out fruit, no fruit, fruit, no fruit, and you know, take ask him. Because listen, the first then the reason I want to read that other parable first is there may be times where God's answer isn't to chop it off, it's actually give it some time, keep investing, and it will produce a crop. Check it in a year. That may be what he says to you, right? And the answer isn't always immediately. Well, there's not any fruit and there hasn't been for the past three years. Because that's why I know, like, I know me. I'll read that right there and I won't read the other one. If I just read that one, I will go and I'll start whacking anything that doesn't have any fruit and I'll just have a trail of dead branches behind me and I'll stand there naked with two little branches that have fruit on them. <laughs> Seriously. Be like, all right, God, I'm ready. <laughs> fruit! <laughs> But there may be some of those branches that God said, oh, I didn't want you to cut those off. I wanted you to actually fertilize those things and pour more into those things because there's a problem that you can't see. There's something going on below the surface that you can't see. And if you just continue to pour into it, you just dig around a little bit. Cut out and remove some stuff that isn't supposed to be there and pour in some good things. Speak words of life. Be an example and encouragement to them. Challenge and spur them on in the Lord. Pray for them. Fast for them. Intercede for them. That's what it looks like to fertilize the plants that God has given around us that are people. And so maybe some of those branches I need to say, you know what, God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to pour myself into it and I'm going to give this some time and then I'll reevaluate it in time and see if it's beginning to bear fruit. But there's also going to be some that God says, 
Cut it off. And right now, you're probably thinking of some of those. Because when we start to talk like this, our mind starts to evaluate the branches in our lives and the things that we're giving ourselves to. Listen to me, the most precious thing that you have besides the blood of Jesus, which cleanses you of all unrighteousness and the Spirit of God living inside of you is the time that He's given you. And if you're careful with how you spend your money, you should be 70 times more careful with how you spend your time. Because they print more money every day, but you have only the number of time that you were given from the beginning. That's not like to scare us. That should excite us, right? Like God's called me to live this fruitful life. That means that there's time in my life for me to accomplish everything He saw in me before He spoke me into existence and knit me together into my mother's womb. When He breathed life into me, there was enough time in my life for me to accomplish everything. And maybe right now, I have actually spent some time on things that are never going to bear fruit. Don't kick yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Cut them off immediately and then promise that He is able to restore even that which the moth and locust have eaten that He can even redeem time. That your time, that you can't look and say, well, you know what, I just, it's not going to be for me. I'll only be able to bear half the fruit that I was created to bear because I spent so much of my life. Listen, you have no idea what you spent your life doing. I could look back on my teenage years and think they were an absolute waste. And listen, there were some things in there that were absolute wastes. But if I allow Him to actually use me, He can even redeem that. And that can become something that actually pushes me onward into the thing that He has for me and forges me into the person that I am today. And now it's redeemed because what I thought was a waste of time was actually proving His trustworthiness and His faithfulness to me. And it's actually a part of my story. And it pushes me on into the things that He has for me. You have no idea how you've wasted time. And if we allow Him to come in and redeem it, then there's nothing that's really wasted. Because He works all things for good. All things for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. It doesn't. Remember we talked about this a little while ago. It doesn't just say, and we know that God works all things for good. That's the comfort of a fool. Because there's a qualifier and it says for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. What does that mean? For those who have set their eyes and their hearts upon Him and are actually going after what they were created for are following Him. He'll work everything for good. Even your past, your history becomes rewritten because it no longer becomes this waste of time. It becomes a beautiful part of the story. And it actually can be fuel for the stuff that's ahead of you. Because you learn things through that process that you couldn't have learned without it. And you look back one day and you're not thankful for the things that happened because you know they weren't His will, but you're thankful for who they made you become and for what He used it for and how He brought you into the place that you're in. I promise you. You have no idea how you spent your time. Because you're busy looking at the outside and God's busy looking at your heart. I just... Right now, before we get to the end, I don't want to wait till then because it's really strong on me. Who here feels like they've wasted so much time in their life? Go ahead, yeah. It's, listen. God, keep your hands up real quick. Church family, just if there's someone, you don't have to get up, just look around. If there's someone by you with their hands up, just put your hand on them. We're going to just lay hands on them and we're going to pray for them. But, but listen to me. Like I, I'm, I've been saying this all the time because God has me say this. It's not a magical prayer. Go ahead, keep your hand up. Someone will come and put their hand on you. If no one does, I will. 
It's not a magical prayer. It's the truth that sets you free. And when he said that he can redeem and restore everything, listen, it's the reason why Bathsheba is listed in the genealogy of Jesus. That's the whole reason she's in there. Is so that you understand, I can take anything and use it for my purposes if people will just submit their lives to me. Bathsheba is in the lineage of Jesus and she became the wife of David through a murderous, adulterous affair. You want to talk about something that seems like a waste of time? That was straight up sin. Some of you have raised your hands for things that aren't straight up sin. They're just not good things. They're not the best things. That was straight up sin. And yet God, when David turned it to him, redeemed and restored it to the point that she was the wife that that brought forth the son who would be the one who brought forth the son that brought forth the son that brought forth the son that brought forth David. Of all of David's wives, it was Bathsheba that God chose to bring forth his son through her lineage. Why? He just wanted us to find that little gem hidden in the Word and say God can redeem and restore anything. He can make anything beautiful. And nothing's wasted when it's handed over to Him. Nothing. Listen to me. You have not wasted your life. The only time you've wasted your life is if you allow that to not be surrendered and submitted to Him and you don't allow Him to come in and make of it what He would like to. That's the only way that a life is wasted. So Father, right now for these people that raise their hands, God, I just pray that the truth of Your Word would permeate their hearts right now, God. That they would know and believe that You can redeem and restore everything. What the moths and the locusts have eaten, God. What rust has tarnished, God. That You are capable to make all things new. And that You waste nothing. That even the ugliest parts of our lives that we were so ashamed of, God, You can take them and make something beautiful of them if we would just submit them to You and yield our life into Your hands. And I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, that's good news. Yeah, that's the Gospel, right? The Gospel is good news. That's the Gospel. I'm so far out in the weeds right now. Oh, yeah. So, so how do we know what to remove and what to give more time to? That's where we have to be led by His Spirit. That's where the message from two weeks ago is so important that we actually spend time with Him and we know His voice and we hear His voice and we do what He's calling us to do. And listen to me. You can get alone with Him and you can, you can talk to Him. And He said, My sheep hear My voice and know My voice, which means you can expect Him to speak. And you can expect Him to give you wisdom if you ask for it, believing that He'll give it. James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives freely to all men. But when he asks, he must believe that he has what he asks. Otherwise, he is an unstable man tossed to and fro in the waves. Unstable in all his ways. Let that man expect to receive nothing. What's he saying? If I go to God and I don't actually have an expectation, it makes no pull on heaven and I should expect to receive nothing. That's the Bible. That's not some weird theology. That's not name it, claim it. That's saying, if I go to Him and I actually believe that He will give me what I'm asking, He actually will respond to that belief and He'll honor that. And He'll give me what I'm asking. So we can go to Him and we can say, God, there's this branch. God, there's this person. God, there's this job. God, there's this hobby. God, there's this thing. There's this whatever it is, God. And, and I, I don't see fruit in it. 
I don't see a lot of fruit. And it's been three years now, like the vine dresser said. Listen, this isn't always just an immediate process. This is something that was three years. In other words, it's not even just the things that don't immediately bear fruit. There may be things in your life that have been years, uh, ongoing for years that you don't see fruit in. And go to Him and say, God, it's been three years. And if you want me to, I have no problem. I will cut that thing out of my life. I will remove it and I won't give it another bit of time or energy if it's never going to bear fruit. But I need to know, God, I need to hear from You and I need to know, is that something that I'm supposed to actually pour my life into even more and give it some time and wait to see fruit? Or is it something I'm supposed to cut out right now? And He'll tell you. Because His sheep hear His voice and know His voice. But it takes going to Him and honestly having a yielded heart and saying, God, I'm giving You a blank yes before You even speak. God, I believe You're going to speak to me, but before You even do, I'm going to just go ahead and tell You, whatever You say, I'm doing. I trust You. Now all of a sudden, it's not so scary because we understand the One who wants to do the cutting has our best interest in mind. And not only that, but he also has the best interest of the of the relationship or of the of whatever it is that we're wanting to cut out in mind as well. And how do you know that maybe what needs to happen is that person needs you removed from their lives so they can actually see that they're living off of you and develop their own relationship with the Father. And you may actually be harming them more than you're helping them because you continue to pour into them and you're a substitute for the Father. And what God's saying is, listen, you think this is harsh, but I'm telling you it's the best thing because A, you're not going to be spending your time on something that can never bear fruit because you're replacing me. And B, if you will remove yourself from that person, they'll actually understand what they were getting from you and they'll seek me and they'll find me. And then I'll have two trees that are producing fruit rather than one tree that's producing fruit that's being taken by another. How do you know? And just trust them. Because it can seem so harsh. I'm just going to close up with this. I want to pray with people. It can seem so harsh, right? Like, it can really seem hard. It can seem like, man, I just, I don't want to cut that person out. I'm the only one that they know that, 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 that really is born again. So how do you know that they're not living off of you? That you're not that little dish of water that's keeping the pine tree blossoming and the pine tree's fooled and thinks it's fine because every time it starts to get dry, you come along with a jug of water and begin to fill it up again. And it never actually experiences what it is to go without because you always make sure that you give and they never understand that they need for themselves. And they never even have the need for roots, never mind the chance to put them down. I'm telling you, Because He loves that person as much as He loves you. It's not a haughty thing. It's not, you're not bearing fruit, so I'm cutting you out of my life. It's the Father said that I have to remove myself from you and remove you from me for right now. Does that mean forever? No. Paul said that branches were grafted in. And he said, now listen, don't think more of yourselves than you should because if you were grafted in, you can also be removed. But that means branches can be reintroduced to a tree. There may be a time where that person has to be alone by themselves and learn to put down roots and learn to bear fruit of their own and learn what it is to have a relationship with the Father for themselves rather than through you. And then they can be grafted back into your life because now it can be healthy and you can actually spur each other on and they're not feeding off of you, you're feeding off of each other. 
And you become a support to each other rather than a parasite living off of a host. It's only scary if there's things in our lives that we value more than Him. If it's scary to get before Him and say, God, whatever is in my life that You don't want, cut out of my life. If that really does terrify us, it's only because there's something in our lives that we value more than we value Him. Because the only reason He's cutting anything out is to make room for the things that He wants. It's never to leave you alone. It's never to leave you depressed. Listen, a pruning season doesn't mean you have to walk around looking like you're beat down with a bat. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength and He's never called you to something that's going to make you leave behind the very thing He called your strength. You can have joy even in a pruning season. Where does the joy come from? It comes from knowing that even though this is a little bit painful right now, I know there's a day coming where what He's cutting out is going to bear more fruit. And so my joy and my excitement is in that rather than focusing on what is getting left behind in the moment. Because I see beyond what I see. Because even when He cuts back, says every branch that bears fruit, He prunes. What's He saying? I'm not content with you just bearing the fruit that you're bearing. You're bearing fruit, but I'm looking years down the road and going, if I leave that, that branch is going to get overgrown. It's going to shade itself out and eventually it'll come to a place where it can't bear more fruit. So I'm going to prune it back here and here and here. And I'm going to cut this and I'm going to cut that. That's going to allow more light to get in. That's going to allow everything that needs to get to those branches to get to them. And they'll become fruitful branches of their own. And where there once was one, there will be 20. And then I'll come in and I'll prune it again. And it's a continual process. We are never done being pruned and shaped by the master pruner, by the master gardener. I promise you, if you ever get to a place where you think it's time now to sit back and just enjoy the fruit of what's been done in my life, it's that very day that you start to decline. And you may not notice the decline for years to come, but I promise you, it's coming. Because every one of us is a work in progress that He continually wants to transform every single day, every single year of our lives because He wants you to bear more fruit, not because He wants to leave you a cut-down stump in the middle of a field all alone. It's for our good for the good of everyone around us. For the good of His kingdom. So this year, I feel like, I, I honestly, I feel like this is going to be a year of enjoying fruit of things that were planted long ago. That you've been patiently waiting for. Sometimes things that you checked on and said, I don't know if it's ever going to bear fruit. I noticed things in my life where it was like that. You know, there's times in your life where in the pruning process, it looks like you're being diminished, but you're actually being positioned for explosive growth. There was a time where I, where I started out and I worked in children's ministry in a nursery once a month. And then I started working in a classroom once every other week. And then it was every week. And then me and Patty were made the leaders over a classroom. And then we were made the leaders over a section of children's ministry. And then we were made assistant children's pastors. And then children's pastors. And then youth pastors. And then college and career pastors. And then one day I was being the college and career and youth pastor and the, and the pastor of the church I was at came to me and said, hey, the person who was our children's pastor left and we need help there. Is there any way that you could step back into children's ministry? And to everybody that looks like a demotion. 
because you're progressing up the ladder. It's what you do in the kingdom. You start in children's, you go to youth, you go to college and career, then you're an assistant pastor, then you're an associate pastor, and the next thing you know, you're a lead pastor, or you move to another church and you become something there. It's just the way that it works in the kingdom. A equals B, and B equals C, and C equals D, and then all of a sudden God says, I want you to go back to A, and to everybody else it looks like it's being diminished. And to me, I could have felt that way, but I knew that God was calling me to this. And then eventually He called me to step out from any kind of leadership of that church and to come to this little church where I hardly knew anybody and just sit in a pew and do nothing. And if anybody was watching the fruit, if anybody was looking at the branch structure, they might have said, man, last year it looked like there was more branches on that tree. I wonder what's wrong. Last year I saw more, more fruit. What's wrong? They, they, they didn't understand that what God was doing was He was pruning me back to position me to explode with growth. And I went from being a leader to being someone who was following someone. And then one thing led to another and here we are today. Don't let your logical mind keep Him from pruning you because it looks like you're being diminished. Let Him do what He wants to do in your life. And trust that it's always for your good, it's always for His good, and it's always for the good of the world. Let Him prune you. Let Him cut it off. And just trust Him. Trust Him. Who, who here feels like that really resonates with them when I say that 2017 is going to be a year of enjoying the first fruit of things that you've been pouring into for years? Stand up. Yeah. I honestly think everybody could stand up because I felt like it was a word for our entire church. But, but if you don't, and that's okay. Don't feel pressure. Don't stand just to be cool because the cool kids are. I just want to bless you with this. Enjoy the fruit. But understand that what you do now is so critical because it affects the crop for the next 10 years. And that if all we do is enjoy the fruit, but we don't allow the pruning process that needs to happen to happen, our day of decline starts already. So enjoy the fruit. Don't, don't hear me say don't enjoy the fruit. Eat it, taste it, taste and see the Lord is good. Enjoy the fruit of the labor that you've put into things and, and, and experience what it is to taste of something that you've worked for and that you've poured your life into. Do that. But in the process also say, God, I want to be pruned. Because things that were good for last season may not be good for this season. Branches that were necessary last season might not be necessary this season. Because if He cuts that branch, then the two branches that are necessary for the next season can actually emerge. And don't hold on to anything so tightly that you think, well, I needed this last season. I know I'm going to need it next season. If it looks like you're being diminished, if it's the Father, you're not. He has no interest in diminishing you. He only has interest in pruning you so that the next season of your life explodes with even more fruit, more growth, more of Him. So God, I just bless every person that's, that's in this room, God. That during this time, we would be able to taste and see Your goodness and enjoy the goodness of things that we have poured into for years. But I also pray, God, that during this time, we would also be hearing Your voice and allowing You to cut and remove and prune everything in our lives so that the next season is even more fruitful.
So the next season, there's even more to taste and see the goodness of and even share with others because there's such a bounty of fruit in our lives. And God, I ask for the courage if there's things that You're calling us to cut out. Because, wait, listen to me. Listen to me here. There's times where I think God just prunes things and then I think there's some things in our lives that He won't prune until we give Him permission and He'll wait until we say, okay, prune me. That's why David says, search me, God. Know my heart if there's any unpleasing way within me. God, tell me if there's anything. What was he saying? God, I'm giving you permission to come in and show me the things in my life that aren't pleasing to you. Why? Because until he did that, God could see things that were unpleasing and keep them to himself until David was actually ready to do something with it. Why? He has no interest in giving you a word that you're not capable or ready to steward. Because then it's just heaping more judgment on you because now you're disobedient to the thing that caused the fruit to, uh, the branch to be bad in the beginning, but also you're disobedient to the word that he wants to give you of cutting it out. He has no interest in that. So stand before him and just tell him, God, I'm ready to be pruned. Whatever it is, cut it, dissect it, take it out of my life, God. Leave only that which you want in my life. And let it bear fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.